Some of you guys at home, you're thinking like, hey, why are we, why are we starting to come back um, to uh, live service? The question, it was never about if we're going to come back. It's really about when we're going to come back. And when we come back, are we going to be able to keep it safe? Are we going to be able to mitigate the, just the, the distances and everything, making sure that all these things are out? The answer is yes, right? We are keeping it safe, and we want to come back because there's something about the gathering, and there's something about the willingness to come here. It, it gives... It gives a sense of, um, uh, of holiness and, uh, and, a, and a sense of uh, providence when you begin to recognize who God is and you come here and you, there's a worthiness to the worship of our God. And so I want to just kind of encourage you guys. We're still doing a lot of uh, tuning. Uh, I'm pretty sure if you're at home, the, the sound is, it wasn't working for the first uh, 10 minutes, so that's why you guys didn't catch that. You, you, you must have been here for that, okay? That was amazing, all right? Uh, but yes, we are, we're going to come back, and we're going to worship our God, and we're not going to let COVID dominate our lives or dictate uh, what's going to happen. We're going to be safe. We're going to be wise. We're going to be discerning, but we're also going to be followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, I got a word for you guys today. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. We are in a series called Wounded Healers, a series called Wounded Healers, and this series was designed and it was created with one intention in mind. We want you guys to recognize that you are called to minister to others, okay? Whether you know it or not, when you become a child of God, when you find yourself as a believer, you are called automatically to minister to others, you, to share, to love, to serve, to invest in the life of those around you. If you are a believer and you have not lived your life in such a way where you are investing into someone else, when you are investing who you are into the people around you, right, you're missing a huge chunk of what that means. So this series is about developing and, and recognizing wounded healers. We call it wounded healers because we know that Church is not perfect. It is filled with imperfect people, and a lot of the programs we create are imperfect programs, right? But in this community that is blessed by God, that is covered by God, that is, has the Word of God and the Spirit of God moving inside of it, in this community, God takes people imperfect, He heals them, He changes them, He transforms them so that they now can become healers for other people, Okay? The heart of TLC is that we are meant to love God, love people, and serve the world. That's our ministry. That's our mission. That's why we're here. That's our vision at this church. We want to invest in people, and we want to make sure that you recognize that you are called to invest in people. Okay? And so last week, we talked about, well, how do I become a, a, a vessel that's going to uh, bring forth healing to people? Right? I mean, I, I know that I'm supposed to be doing this, but how do, how do I become a vessel that's, that's going to bring forth healing to those around me. I feel inadequate. I feel like I don't have much to offer. I, don't, I feel like I, I, there's, there's not much I know. Last week, we really talked about this thing in depth, and we said that if you're going to bring forth healing to people, there's a couple things you got to know. There's a couple things that you just got to have. One, you got to preach the truth. You got to live the truth. You can't bring forth God's total healing, God's transformation in the life of a person, if you do not preach, live out the entirety of God's truth. You can't just pick and choose what you like and disregard everything else, but that you're willing to preach the whole entirety of God's truth, and you're willing to live out 
though struggling at times, God's truth. We talked about that not only are you supposed to live the truth, preach the truth, but you have to recognize the power that's at play in the life of the people around you. You got to recognize the voices that's being spoken in this generation. You got to recognize the, the cultural narrative that's being said here and what's, being, what's dragging people uh, to whatever direction is being dragged. So you got to recognize the God of this age. Recognize the cultural narrative of this age. And then lastly, you bring them to Jesus. You don't, you don't try to you don't try to do like you know these these big programs just to kind of wow factor them the heart of it all is that you bring them to jesus that what you do it's about jesus you preach jesus you live jesus you bring jesus into the center of the conversation you bring jesus into the center of the decision you bring them to jesus and that's where the healing comes from if you want to become vessels to bring forth healing, you got to preach this truth. You got to live this truth. It means that you got you to know the Bible. You got to know your word. And if you're at home and you don't know your word, I recommend you. We have small groups out there that's going to teach you the word. Join those small groups. Join men's group, women's group, whatever. Just join them. All right? You have to recognize the God of this age. You have to recognize the difference between God's truth, God's narrative, God's voice, God's story, and the story that's being going on uh, in this world today. And you got to bring them to Jesus. Don't bring them to yourself because you can't do anything. Don't bring them to me because Pastor Tony is, can't do much, right? Don't bring them to the church because the church itself is a nice place, but it's itself, in itself is, has no power. The one who has power is Jesus. So as long as the church centers around Jesus, as long as the pastor is preaching Jesus, as long as you're living Jesus, you can become vessels to bring forth healing, right? For all y'all who missed, you're welcome, okay? Today... Today, we are going to ask, we're in a series, we're in a part of the, the, the letter where we're going to answer the, or ask the question, how do we do this joyfully? How do we continue to do this joyfully, right? Because if you ever dealt with people, what happens? They burn you, don't they? People burn you. If you've ever been part of a ministry, guess what happens? You burn out, don't you, right? If you dealt with people in any account, one of the um, the ultimate conclusion is they will burn you. They will disappoint you, and you will disappoint them, right? When you deal with people, you're going to feel the sense of burnout and this desire to quit and to run. How do we continually and joyfully do this work? How do we continue walking this trajectory Without running, without stepping back, without quitting, how do we keep moving forward in the midst of the potential of being burnt and burnt out? All right? That is the question I'm going to lay for you today. So let's look at the Bible and let's see what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. This is Paul speaking here. He says, verse 1, Now we know that if the earthly tent, talking about his body, our bodies, we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will be not found naked. 
And while we are in this tent, we groan in, in our burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. How to continue joyfully doing this work of ministry. How to keep ourselves from being burnt out or being burnt by people. How to not give up in the midst of following after Jesus. The first thing Paul is sharing with us, verses 1 through 5, he's saying, manage your expectation. Everybody say manage. Manage. He calls us to manage our expectation. See, he's giving us, see, if you guys don't realize this, Christianity is one of the most real living faith out there. Because it doesn't just give us this picture of like, you know, clouds and heaven and everything's going to be beautiful. Live your best life now. Everything's going to be great for you. You do you, you know. Pour out your inner self, whatever. Christianity doesn't talk about that. Christianity talks about the reality of life. The reality of life. Christianity doesn't always romanticize life. Okay? Paul here is telling you, I need you guys to have real expectations here. I need you guys to keep it as real as possible. I need you guys to understand that when you begin this journey with dealing with people, this journey of leadership, this journey of ministry, this journey of investing into the life of people, there are expectations and you need to manage them well. And it means that you do not romanticize ministry or life. Okay? Paul is saying what? You're a tent. You're not a castle. Not a skyscraper. Not a building, not even a house. You're a tent. A tent can be blown away. If you guys have been camping before and you don't know how to stick that mug down, you know you can get your tent blown away, right? Tent can be ripped. If you've gone to AZ before, you know when it starts raining, it can get flooded and you are pretty much, if you don't dig, dig that ditch fast enough, your tent is going to be flooded with water. A tent is temporary. It can be destroyed. Look what he says. He says, we live in a a tent that is destroyed. Our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, okay? It's not permanent. It's not glamorous. It's not romantic. Oftentimes, we have this romantic ideal of life, which is not wrong. I'll talk to you guys about that in a little bit. But if you're going to seek to continue this work, you got to manage your expectation, right? What do we know about this tent? It's, it's a... He says that this tent can be destroyed. In verse 2 and 4, it talks about groaning. That life is not just about like, yippee-dee-dee-doo-dah, right? It's not just about happiness. It's just not about you doing great things. Every day is a great day. Live for yourself. Have optimism. There are days when there is groaning that happens. We groan over the things around us. We groan over work. We groan over people. We groan over family. We groan over relationship. We groan because we know that sometimes and oftentimes things don't work out the way we wish, we hope, we expected. Paul is saying you got to manage your expectation by realizing where you're at. Your tent that can be destroyed. And some of you guys think, well, Peter, I don't get it. We're Christians. I thought that believing in God is going to change everything. It is. But this is what Paul says in verse 5. He says, but the Holy Spirit is a deposit. You don't got the fullness yet. You got the deposit, which means what? You're set. 
Your position, your place, your identity, your status, that's set. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. Nothing will change that. But guess what? Because the Holy Spirit is a deposit, you're still going to face failure. You're still going to face disappointment. You're still going to face pain. You're still going to face hurt. And you're still going to face death. Those things are still there. They don't disappear, regardless of what people say. And so you guys got to be careful. When you start hearing narratives that tells us you're going to be great, everything's going to work out, you're going to have things beautifully. God has never promised that for Christians. God has never promised that for believers. Paul is saying when you begin to deal with people, when you begin to deal with ministry, you got to manage your expectation. you got to live in reality of what's happening around you. But that's hard for us, isn't it? It's hard for us because we live in a social media generation and it's all about romanticizing, right? And we don't manage your expectation. What do we romanticize about? We romanticize what, what, a, what our jobs would be. Some of you guys in college, you, you romanticize how awesome your job when you're working with your boss who is there for you, who's going to encourage you, who is going to lift you up, who is going to push you forward. You romanticize about your space. You're like, we're in this place where we're going to work together. We're going to communicate together. We're going to deal with each other. It's going to be great. We're going to work in a place where there's going to be drive and beauty. We're romanticizing our work Right? That it's going to fulfill me, and you don't realize what? Your boss is a broken person. He's going to fail you. He's going to give you expectation that you're going to be upset about. Your coworkers, your colleagues, they're not perfect. They're, yes, they're, you can have friends, and yes, things do work out, but there are times when things will not go your way. And the more you romanticize, you get it. I bet you any of us, those of you guys who start working, you guys start realizing, man, this is work. When you sit around your job and you're bored to death, right? Or you start dealing with people and you're like, what am I getting myself into? There are days, I know you know. I know you know there are days when you're like, what is this all about? This was not how I imagined it to be. This is not how I romanticized it to be. See, Paul is saying you got to manage your expectation. We romanticize about what? We romanticize about relationship. Oh, that's a big one, Right? Oh, if I got my relationship in, my significant other, they're going to, all my problems are going to be solved. They're going to complete me, right? They're going to be able, I'm going to be able to uh, do things that I've never been able to share or say things I've never been able to say before. They're going to complete me. We're gonna we, have, we romanticize our relationship. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. I'll give you a quick story. I'll, I'll give you a quick story. When I, when I went to college for the first time, UC Irvine, okay? So my wife was there before me, okay? Zot, zot. My wife was one year before me. We were dating. And she romanticized what a couple would look like when they went to UC Irvine or college together, right? And her way of romanticizing that, I'm sorry, wife, you're here, I'm going to tell the story, right? The way she romanticizes it is that we would drive to school together, right? We would wake up in the morning, and we'd maybe get some breakfast, talk about how our days went, and then we'll drive to school, and we're going to have a great time. We'll park, I'll say goodbye, you say goodbye, we'll meet for lunch. It's, this is a beautiful picture, right? And then reality sets in, 7 o'clock, right, either I drive to her or she drives to me, Pick us up. I'm like, I'm not a morning person, so I'm not talking in the morning. I wake up, I come in, I just knock out in the chair, right? And I'm just sleeping. And she's stuck in traffic, and she's just mad because she thought I was going to come in. It's like, hey, honey, how was your day or how was your morning? I was like, homie, we just talked like six hours ago. Like, it's the exact same thing that's been going on, right? And 
the whole romantic thing got cut away, right? Because reality sets in, reality sets in, and you realize your boyfriend is a jerk, right? See, we romanticize things, and we don't manage expectation. We romanticize about travel. How many of y'all have watched like, or watch Instagrams of people who travel, right? And they send all these beautiful pictures, and we're like, man, look at those backdrops, how romantic, how beautiful. But you don't think about the Instagram husband who has to, like, stand there for, like, three hours at certain angles, a certain lighting, and to get that one shot, and who's, like, who's, who hates life right now. Doesn't matter. He doesn't care about the background anymore. He's just like, please, tell me this is the right angle, right? And he's like, no, two degrees. Like, what is two degrees? I don't know how that looks like, right? But we romanticize that, but we don't see the actual reality of it. We romanticize what life would look like if we were in power, we had influence. So how awesome if I was in a position like to, who can speak in front of people, like a pastor or, or a leader in the government or in politics or a business tycoon. How awesome would I be if I had that, that positional place? But we don't think about what? We don't think about the, the loneliness, the hardship, the tenacity, the work ethics, the, the pain that it takes to get there. We don't think about those things. Because we live in this sense of romanticism. And here's the big problem here. The big problem is that we don't manage expectations, so we end up doing what? Chasing after every one of these things. You keep chasing after it over and over, thinking, man, I want to go there. Man, I want to have that type of uh, relationship. Man, I want to be able to have that type of influence. Man, I want to be able to do that job. And we keep chasing it. And when we get there, we realize, oh, that wasn't as, as, as awesome as I thought it was going to be. Or maybe I'm missing something. Let me, let me chase after something else. Let me chase after this. Um, you chase after a work that wasn't as pretty as you thought. So maybe I'll chase after a relationship. That's what I'm missing. I'm missing a relationship. So you add a relationship into that and you start chasing after that. And you're thinking, yes, finally now I'm going to find completion. I'm going to find myself feeling great and everything's going to work out. And you realize you're in a relationship and that wasn't as great either. So you're thinking, oh, maybe it's because we're not traveling enough. Maybe because we haven't seen the world enough. So you say, hey, I have a job. I have, I have a, a significant other. Let's travel. Let's see the world. And you, and you start traveling. And you start going places. And you start going uh, uh, situations. And you realize while you're there, it's pretty at first. Everything is nice at first. The job, the significant other, the travel scenes. But as long as you continue to chase, something begins to sink in, doesn't it? A very quiet very nagging point, question that keeps hitting the back of your mind. Is this it? This is all there is? There must be more. And what do you do? You chase. Right? Result is you're constantly either disappointed, a sense of it's never enough, or you go into depression and anxiety because you're thinking, I'll never catch it. I'll never get there. I have a friend of mine who is not on Facebook or any social media since high school. So I've been, last time I saw high school was 2001, right? That's when Facebook started kind of coming out a little bit. For 19 years, she refused to be on any social media thing. I thought she was just kind of like someone who doesn't want like, people to know about her. I asked her one time because I saw her. I said, hey, why, why aren't you? I can't find you. It's so hard to find you, right? And she said, it's because... I get utterly depressed when I watch social media. 
I'm like, why? So I'm looking at these people's lives, and I'm wondering why is my life not there. I'm like, you know, most of them are lying in there, right? It's like, it doesn't matter. It's the illusion of it. The idea that this is possible, or at least that I can chase after it, and the fact that I'm not even capable to do that, it brings me to a place of catatonic depression. So that's why she says, I'm, I cut that mug out of my life. I said, wow. Some of us, we need a good dose of reality, don't we? Some of us, we need a good dose of reality check where we need to manage our expectation. Oftentimes, people disappoint you. Oftentimes, you get burnt out in ministry when you lead others. Oftentimes, when you begin to do things and you cannot walk fully and you begin to quit or you run away, it's because most likely you did not manage your expectations. Some of us, you join ministry and church, you're thinking, man, it's going to be great. But then you join ministry and you realize, oh, man, this is actually hard. Oh, man, like people are actually very selfish. Oh, man, like is this how hard it is to get people to come out? Oh, man, like why is this like doesn't work out the way we, I thought it was going to be? You see, the, you see things moving, but you never see the background. And you get jaded. You, get, you, get, um, uh, you find yourself disappointed. And what do you do? Instead of joyfully moving forward, continuing the work, having a vision for it, you give up. You walk away. You get burnt out. And that's the number one thing. I'm burnt out. I can't work anymore. All right, what am I going to say if someone say that? Okay, fine. All right? Reason why a lot of us have a hard time is we do not manage expectation. How do we continually, joyfully move towards this work of ministry? One, we manage your expectation. Two, you remember what's to come. Everybody say remember. I know some of you guys are thinking, man, PT, you just painted a very morbid life, right? You just painted a, a reality that I do not want to exist in. And yeah, right, I'm sorry, right? But here, here's, here's the good news, right? The way in which we continue to do this is that you remember what's to come. Do you guys know why you guys all wanted to be wizards when Harry Potter came out? Do you guys all know why you want to be Aragon when uh, Lord of the Rings was out there? You want to be the High King or, Bo- or Bilbo or not Bilbo. What was the other one? Um, who's that guy? I forgot his name. Elijah Wood? Who was he? Frodo. Yeah, you want to be Frodo, right? The guy who has to face the challenges. Or who of you guys want to be Sam, the, the brother who carried Frodo to the end, right? I mean, some of us, we romanticize like, yes. Right? I long to be like that. I long to have that, that longing, right? that, that desire. How many of you guys, when you were as a kid, you guys watched Peter Pan? None of you guys watched Peter Pan because it's not your age. But some of you guys who are old enough to watch Peter Pan, how many of you guys wish that you guys never grew up? To be young forever, right? To never grow old. You, romant- you, know, why you, you, you know why fantasies are such a beautiful thing? Or fantasy novels? It's not for you to get lost in. But it's, it's meant to draw out from you a desire, a reminder you're not meant for this. You're not meant for this tent. You're not meant for this corruptibility. You're not meant for this temporariness. You're not meant for this life. There is something that is innate within your spirit that is calling you that we were meant for more. If a baby who understands without even asking that they need milk from their mother... If a fish, when it's born, understands that it needs to live and survive and flourish in water, and if you, 
as a human soul, realize this cannot be all there is. There must be more. The reality is, is because there is something more. There is something more. And when we recognize that reality, when we recognize that, we have the ability to joyfully and continually walking towards the mission. Look, look at the, uh, verse 1 through 5 again. He says, yes, we live in tent that can be destroyed, but we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Paul is saying, we live in tents. It's temporary. It's not glamorous. It's not romantic. But let me tell you, there is something more for you. The life, the body, the act, the, who you are, this frailty, this brokenness, this thing that dies, this is not your destiny. This is not your end point. This is not all there is. There is something more. You were meant for glory. You were meant for glory. You were meant to see a life that does not die. You were meant to never have sickness. You were meant to see joy. You were meant to live in such a world where there is adventure, there is beauty, there is wonder, there is excitement, there is never-ending glory. Paul is saying this. Look at verse 2. He says, meanwhile, we groan. So here we are. We're groaning, but we're longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Verse 4, it says, for while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Paul is saying, you have to remember that there is something more for you. More often than not, we know the profound confidence of the resurrection of this tent and the promise of something, that, uh, something living gives us the power to push forward. If you know that there is something awaiting you, if you know that there is something there for you, you have this ability to keep pushing forward. If you know the destination in which you are moving forward, you have the ability to keep going there. See, when you face death of someone you love and you remember that death is not the end but just the beginning in Jesus, you face it with strength, not despair, not brokenness, not frailty, not depression, but you face it with strength because you know death, death cannot swallow you. It cannot swallow this life. When you face abandonment by your family members, you remember that there is a father who knows your name, is proud of you, and loves you, and wants you. Those who grew up without their dads, those who lost family members, that there is somebody who says, well done, when he sees you, who looks at you with joy, who, a king whom you can wake up in the middle of the night and ask for a glass of water. When you lose all that you've worked for all your life, you remember that you have something that cannot be taken away. Let me explain this by a, an illustration by missions, right? When I, the, one, the hardest mission I ever went on was a mission to Hong Kong. Right? I know that's kind of, kind of weird, like, why Hong Kong? That seems like a very first world area. It was one of the hardest missions I've ever been on, right? Because before we went to Hong Kong, we had to go to Korea to do our training. And that year, for some reason in Korea, it was the craziest storm. And guess what? We had this huge conference, but everyone slept outside in tents. And the rain poured, and we were getting sick, and we weren't feeling good. There was food. We couldn't even cook food. It was just a very horrible training experience, let alone that we had to go in the countryside for one whole week without anything but a backpack, right, for the backpack, and to just say, here, we're going to drop you off, live off of the grace of God. Here's point A, point B. I'll see you in one week, right? 
Everyone's freaking out. And it was the worst week. And then we got to Hong Kong, and I'm preaching the message, and I'm sharing this word, and I'm doing all these things, and no one seems to be receiving it. People are disconnected. It doesn't seem like it's working. It makes everything horrible. There's no food, warmth, bed, love of a good lady, right? Everything has just seems like it's fallen out of place. But I remember. You know what I remember? In the midst of just all of that, I remember one thing. I have a home in America, right? I have a bed here. There's food here. My girlfriend at the time is here, right? There's something to look forward to. I can get through this. I can get through this. And so what did we do? We got through it. Day by day, difficult as it was, we stepped in and we got through it, right? Now, I know what you guys are thinking. You're thinking, PT, you're just trying to describe a false hope, kind of like a, an, an opium for the human heart. It's kind of like, you know, don't live for today, think about tomorrow, you know, dream about that. That's what, Christian, that's what religion does. No, I would never preach to you guys false hope if we do not have the certainty of it, right? As Christians, we have the certainty of tomorrow because of one thing and one thing only. You know what that is? Who that is? Jesus he is the only reason I can stand here and preach to you to think about tomorrow, to think about more than what you have at this moment, to think about the journey and the glory that's before you. He is the only reason I have the courage to come and tell you live this difficult, hard life, dealing with difficult, hard people, doing difficult and hard things because there is something waiting for you that is beyond your imagination, that is beyond any dreams you can ever imagine. It is because of the hope in Jesus. See, if you're at home and you're thinking, man, I don't know. I don't know how I think about Jesus. The question I always have to ask you is this. Is Jesus who he says he is? Don't worry about what the Bible talks about, when, things that you're against, like, you know, homosexuality or abortion or any of those, those, those hot topic issues that you're going at right now. So I can't believe in Jesus because of these things. The question you have to ask yourself is simply this. Is Jesus who he says he is? Is he more than a good teacher? Is he more than just a guru? Is he truly Lord and Savior? Did he die and did he resurrect from the dead? Because if he is who he says he is, if he is who he says he is, then the promise is yours. Do you recognize that? If he is who he says he is, the promise is yours. That means that the life you're living here is just like a mission. You are on mission at this moment, and life will disappoint you. Life will fail you. You're going to face storms. You're going to get broken by a tiny microscopic virus that nobody can see but can destroy and stop a whole entire world. Things will happen to you here in this place, but it is not your final destination. Paul is saying, remember what's to come. So the midst when you're dealing with people who have hurt you, who have burnt you, dealing with ministry that is burning you out, you remember what's to come. There is something more. I can face the temporary pain, hurt, struggle, ups and downs, because I know tomorrow is something better. I know that there is something awaiting me. I know that there is a glory for me, right? And I tell you, I mean, I, we make a joke about this. We, you know, when we, when we used to do Tough Mother back in the days, right? Tough Mother is that 12, 
mile obstacle course with like 37 obstacles that we had to go through and it's like running up hills and down hills and, and it broke almost everybody that went there. Actually, it just broke me. I think it just broke me, right? Every time we go, right, it's 13 miles and if you think it's 13 miles, not too bad, try running up the hill for 13 miles. It's, 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 it's just painful, right? And you, people ask, like, why, would you put, why would you pay to put yourself in pain? That's a great question. That was a great question. Guys are dumb. We do dumb things like that, right? And so I remember the hard time walking, going through the process, running up the walking up the hill, right? The only thing that got me through that course, you know what it was? Was home promising me there's crabs at the end of this, right? We're going to have a lobster buffet at the end of this. It's going to be fantastic. And I'm like, yes. One foot at a time. The day will end. I will finish. It's going to be over. And when it's over, we're going to a buffet. And it's going to be glorious. And it was glorious. Man, afterwards, it was just to sit down and realizing you finished that horrible, horrible course. And then before you is this feast. Like, it's like you almost want to cry. I'm, I'm, I'm tearing up thinking about it right now, right? It's, it's like you almost want to cry, right? And in the same way, church, the life you live now is not going to be beautiful. The reality sets in is not going to be great. Husbands will disappoint wives. Wives will disappoint husbands. Your salt will disappoint you. Your saltee, salt leader will disappoint you. Ministry leaders will disappoint you. You will disappoint people. There is going to be disappointment because life is not glamorous. Life is not romantic. Life is life. People try to make the best of it because they realize this is all they have. But as a believer, this is not all you have. This is the start. The mission that God has placed you here. It's hard, it's difficult, but when you take your last breath and you cross the finish line and you remember what's coming, you open your eyes and before you, it's beauty. And that's what moves a believer forward. Paul says, I'd rather die, honestly. To die is to gain, he says. Paul says, I'd rather die and be with Christ because that's the best thing right now for me. But I'm going to stay here and do this work. But I'm going to continue to do it. I'm not going to give up, even though this church has disowned me. You know, they disowned Paul, this church, right? Even though this church has insulted me, even though this church no longer respects me, I'm writing you this letter to tell you I love you and I'm here for you and I will not give up on you. I'm going to run this race with you. Why? Because Paul understands how to manage his expectations and he remembered what's to come. He remembered what's to come. And lastly, look at verse 6 to 8. How do you continually to joyfully do the work of ministry? Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Right? Paul is saying the way he continues to carry his life forward joyfully, not giving up, not walking away, pushing forward, meandering through it, continuing and fighting for it, is that he has this unbelievable desire for Jesus. Everybody say desire. Desire. He has an unbelievable affection and wanting to be with Jesus. Paul has this deep affection 
for his Lord. So deep that he says, I'd rather be with him than to stay here. Such a deep affection. Why? Why is that affection there? Because Paul understands what Jesus saved him from. You see, a lot of times, listen guys, a lot of times you give up on whatever it is you're doing. When you're in school, you give up on school. Those of you guys who've given up. When you're at work and you walk away from your job to try and find another job because you feel like it's not good enough for me. When you're in a relationship and you drop this person thinking the next person will be awesome. When you are doing ministry and you're thinking maybe this ministry is not meant for me, I'm going to go somewhere else. When you begin to keep running, hiding, being, using the excuse that I'm burnt or people have burnt me to get away from things, to run from it. Oftentimes, oftentimes, it's because you have forgotten your affection and your desire for Jesus. You have forgotten why or what he has saved you from. You've forgotten what he's done for you. You've forgotten the grace that he's given to you. You've forgotten the identity that he's bestowed to you. You've forgotten who you are in him. You've forgotten your position. You've forgotten your, 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 your basic standing in God. It's like, it's like I share this as a, one of my favorite ways of uh, explaining the gospel. It's like, it's as if you're sick. And the doctor said, you're done. I'm sorry, there's no cure. I, I can't help you. Count your days. Say goodbye to your loved ones. It's over. And you're, and you're sitting there, you're thinking life, you, you recognize the deterioration of your life. You're seeing it pass away. You know that you're going to die soon. And then all of a sudden, the doctor comes to you and says, I have a cure. I have a cure. He said, well, give it to me. He said, I can't give it to you. I said, why? Because if you're going to take it, realize something, it's going to cost you a lot of money. You're not going to live a very normal life anymore. Are you willing to pay? Your answer is, duh, I'm willing to pay. What's the, what's the point of having all this money if I'm dead? What's the point? And he says, well, you might have to sell your car, sell your house, do all these things. What's the point of having a car or a house if I'm dead? What you don't realize, church, is that you yourself, you are sick. You're sick with this disease called sin. And sin, what it is, is just you are constantly separated from your God. You're running away from him more and more. And it's killing you. You're running away from him because you're chasing after other things to complete you. You're chasing after all these other things to make you feel whole from your purpose, for your sense of worth and freedom and identity. You're chasing after all these things, and it's actually killing you, and you don't even realize it. Some of us have, as we chase and we've been disappointed by it. Some of us have, as we chase and realize none of these things that we chase after actually completes and fulfills. Some of us realizes it, and then turns to what? To the one who actually completes Jesus is the cure. He comes to your life and he says, I recognize what's happening in you. Do you recognize it? Do you recognize that you're constantly chasing after something that is never fulfilling you? You're chasing after a relationship that's never going to fulfill you. You're chasing after money, job, expenses, work, school, family. You're chasing after all these things and none of them ever will completely fulfill you. 
And instead of being happy with joy, you're finding yourself more disappointed, less glamorous. Jesus becomes, when you recognize that, you recognize how precious Jesus is. As he comes in, he says, let me give you completion. The ultimate logical conclusion of all our personal desire is that it either keeps us anxious and afraid or it leaves us depressed and broken. And ultimately, it drives us into ultimate separation from God, right? The Bible says it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do. All your great deeds is like filthy rags before me. What is, where is your affection for Jesus, guys? How do we continue to move down this road without losing ourselves, to joyfully walk it? Desire Jesus. See what he has done. Remind yourself what he has done for you. Remind yourself of who you are before him. Remind yourself of how precious he is. Remind yourself of what, how precious, what, what the precious thing he has done for you is. To save you when he did not have to. To take you from the mire when he did not have to. To give you a name, to give you an identity, to give you life when he did not have to. He chose you, he called you, he has ordained you, he has justified you, and he will glorify you. And he is working in you and he is trying to transform and change your life if you would listen and remember him. Oftentimes you run, oftentimes you fade away, oftentimes you quit, oftentimes you find yourself burnt. It's because... You've lost your affection for Jesus, right? You lost your affection for the one whom you should love. I think you understand this without me trying to be preaching, okay? If if you've ever been in a relationship, you understand this, right? When you have an affection for somebody, what happens? You can serve them, and it doesn't seem like work, right? I remember when I was in high school, my buddies, when when, when, when they had a girlfriend, right, they would never do their chores, never, right? But girlfriend is here. Anniversary is coming up. Guess what? I got to do chores. They will clean the whole house top to bottom, spick and span, without even thinking of a word. Because why? They needed the money, right? For the gift that he's going to give for the anniversary. Doesn't even think twice about the chores. Doesn't even think because why? The affection drives him to move forward. The affection gives him the strength, the motivation, and the direction to continue. The affection reminds him what it's all for. And so when you find yourself, church, leaders, people at home, being burnt by others, being hurt, being discarded, being let down, when you find yourself constantly being burnt in ministry and you wanting to run, wanting to get out of it, desire Jesus. Remember the affection for Christ. Because you know why? When you remember him, when you, when you set your hope in him, when you set your heart on him, when you set your focus on him, when you set your desires in him, it gives you the strength and the ability and the will to get through the pain. This is what Jesus says. You ready? For the joy set before me, I endure the cross. Let me say that again. For the joy set before me, I endure the agony, the pain, the hurt, the destruction of the cross. 
I was willing to break my body, spill my blood for the joy set before me. And that joy was you. That joy was you. He has, you can have deep affection for him because he has deep affection for you. He was willing to take the cross for you. And that's no easy task. And in this journey of life, when our affection is set and we know who is the object of our affection, the true worthy object of our affection, the one who is counted worthy, not just anything, not just the object of our affection should not be money, should not be relationships, should not be family, it should not be your work, it should not be your ambition. Those are all counterfeit gods. Those are all counterfeit satisfaction. Those are all counterfeit in fulfillment to you. The one in who is true and is whole, who has kept his word, kept his promise, kept the truth, is Jesus Christ. And when our affection is upon the rock that does not change, the one who does not leave his throne, when our affection is upon him, we can weather any storm. We can go through any ups and downs. We can face death itself and not be scared. We can move and deal with people in such a way that would redeem and restore and you would not run. You would not hide. And you would not be scared because, one, you've managed your expectation. Two, right? You've managed your expectation. Two, you remember what's to come. And three, you desire Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you. And we recognize that life is hard, Dad. We recognize that it is not easy. We recognize that it is not fair. We recognize, God, that things don't always go the way we wish, the way we hope, and the way we dream. We recognize, Father God, that no matter how much we chase after the glamour, when all the lights are gone and all the media is done and all things are shut down, we recognize a nagging voice within our hearts that it's not enough, that it's not satisfying, that in the end of it all, we're not whole. And we always want more. And so, God, we pray. We pray that today as we come before you as sons and daughters, I pray, oh God, that we would recognize the reality of life, managing our expectation, recognizing that we are here temporary. Life is not glamorous. It is not romantic. But we also remember what's to come. We remember, Lord, the hints of life longings of what's to come the beauty of what's to come we see the taste and we touched it of heaven Lord and we yearn for more and Lord God may our hearts be completely filled with the affection and the desire for you may our hearts oh God speak and cry and yearn for you for when our affection is solid Lord so is our walk so we come, Father. Remind us of who you are. Remind us of your love. Remind us of your grace. Remind us how much you love us. How much you are for us. And how much you've endured because of us. Breathe that life into us one more time. Breathe that truth into our hearts. And give us strength to move forward. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.
stop you never stop working you never stop you never stop working even when I don't see it you're working even when I don't feel it you're working you never stop you never stop working you never stop you never stop working even when I don't see it you're working even when I don't feel it, you're working. Never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop, cause you are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. 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 That is who you are.
that is who you are. That is who you are. That is who you are. That is who you are. That is who you are. That is who you are. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. 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 Father God, I just thank you, Lord, um, uh, for this time you have given us to worship, Lord, a time to be able to hear your word, God, and for you to speak to us. Lord, I God, I just pray that, Lord, everything, though, may seem crazy, Lord, and may seem tough, and we may feel burnt out in the things that we do, but, Lord, as people who follow you, Lord, may we continue to just trust and know that you are the way maker, God, that you are the one who died on the cross, Lord, for our, for our sins, for ourselves. And that we respond, God, by following you, obeying you, trusting in you, Lord. So God, uh, may we continue to just adore you, Lord, continue to love you, and faithfully follow your word. So God, will you move through this church, with our community, be with everyone from this building to home, we love you for everything. In Jesus' name, pray. All right. Check, 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 check. All right. Hey, I got a couple announcements for you guys today, uh, real quickly. Just to uh, start off, Word of the Week is Wounded Healers. If you guys have been following Word of the Week, I know you guys so much love to be constantly filled with the Word of God. Word of the Week is on Wednesday at 8 p.m. Our brother Evan has been going through an amazing series on how to really complement spiritual situation that's going on in your heart and your life in uh, regards to uh, the series of Wounded Healers. So if you want to just learn practical things that can help you, Word of the Week, a few minutes in, really gives you a lot of practicality to what we're having here. Salt, continue your salt. I mean, we've been talking about this every week. TLC is about investment. It's about people. It's about bringing our lives into other people's lives. And we recognize, if you've been doing that as a salt leader, you recognize how difficult that is. You recognize sometimes you're burnt, sometimes... Um, it's difficult, but you, if, you, if you've seen those who have stood the test and walked through it, the blessing that came from it, yes? 
right? The blessing of what it means to be with somebody investing in their lives in the long run. So if you're in salt, we recommend you guys continue to do that. A um, couple things happening. Operation Christmas Child, Saturday, November 7th, okay? One of our, uh, you're going to come share? All right. Our sister Ha is going to come and share. Give it up. Woohoo! Ha. Can you have a mic? Yes. Uh, uh, use that one, the black one. Yeah, no one touched them yet. Um, so this year, Source Ministry is going to uh, host Operation Christmas Child. So if you guys don't know what that is, it's from um, an organization called the Samaritan Purse. And it's one of their large projects of the year where they um, get shoeboxes, they fill the boxes with goodies, um, and then they send it out to third world countries for kids. It's stuff like hygiene products, toys, school supplies. So this year we're going to pretty much participate in the same thing. And then um, so on November 7th at 7 p.m. in the church parking lot, um, I want to invite everyone to come out and wrap shoe boxes with us. Um, Sports Mercy is going to prepare uh, food, drinks. Well, we, we have the shoe boxes already. We have wrapping paper, um, the labels. We even have uh, pretty much everything that goes into the shoe box. So all you guys need to do is just come out and bring your So, yeah. Thank you, love. All right. Awesome. Give it up for that Operation Christmas Child. Hey, it don't matter what's going on in the world. We're still here to serve people. Yes? All right. Um, our CM is going to be doing a fall fest on Halloween, right? So if y'all don't have any plans for Halloween, and you, I don't know if you should or shouldn't, right? <laughs> That's, 2020 is one of those really weird years where every huge holiday falls on a perfect day, but no one can actually enjoy it. It's one of those, it's just one of those weird things, right? Halloween falls on Saturday, which is like the holy grail of Halloween days, right? It's like the day where everyone gets to go and... Sundays, you know, you can't, but you have to go to church. But anyways, right, we are having a Halloween Fall Fest drive-in movie night, which means that most, uh, a lot of our um, small groups will be doing a trunk or treat uh, stationed in our parking lot, and people are going to drive in, and, you know, they'll do, like, math games or something to the kids, like, you know, what's 5 plus 5? 10, yay, here's candy, right? So they're going to do that. They're going to enjoy trunk or treat, and then we're going to have, we're going to screen a movie on the trailer wall uh, during the nighttime for that. So if you guys want to participate, want to help out, want to be a part of that, uh, let Asia know as soon as you guys can, okay? That would be great. October 31st, be a part of something, do something, all right? 12-week Spread Love, Not Fear campaign. Let me remind you guys of why we're doing this. If you guys are like, oh, how's that going along? I've been hearing about it, see it here. In the it's been going great, by the way. If you guys didn't know, it's been going amazingly great. Um, the reason why we're doing this is it's to remind you, it does not matter what's happening in the world around us. The sons and daughters of God still have a mandate. Our mandate is to preach the gospel and to live that gospel out, right? And this 12 weeks Spread Love, Not Fear campaign was a, was a campaign designed by your leaders to get us moving and being a part of that. So you're not too late in doing it. Right? If you want to catch up, please catch up. But it is a great campaign that's just step-by-step, step, little things you do during the week where you're just building relationship, you're connecting, you're thinking, your heart, your mind, your soul. It all comes part to it, and you're really being a blessing to people. Right? So uh, 
check it out. So we, we, do we have a video for that? Yes? Yes, we have a video for that. Check this out the past two weeks uh, for our 12 uh, Spread Love Not Fear campaign. some of the things we have up there. We wanted to highlight that for you guys. It's going. We're getting our leaders to do it. We really recommend you guys jump in and just be a part of it. I promise you, if you step into it, you're going to find yourself really in a place that's going to be a blessing for yourself and just for those around you, okay? Um, any other announcements? That's it. All right. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hey, we are still doing our uh, soft opening. We probably won't do our full opening until uh, the beginning of next month when we start the whole new series. But thank you guys for coming out. And if you guys are at home, you're thinking, hey, I don't want to do this online anymore, feel free to come out. We're just, you know, letting people trickle in and see how it is and how comfortable they are. And when you're ready, we're here to worship together, all right? Hey, guys, once you guys all rise, let me send you guys off in a, uh, in a blessing. Would you place your hand out as a posture of receiving? May the Father who gave us his Son, may the Son who gave us his life, and may the Spirit who now lives in us give us the strength, the vision, the heart, and the will to continue the journey of life in its ups and downs, in its disappointments, and its pains. May you give us, O oh God, your strength, your beauty, your wonder to move us forward in this journey we call life. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in, church, or, uh, go in peace, church. We love you. Spread love, not fear. Have a good one, guys. The tribe of Judah has conquered. He has won, weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. He has won. Yeah.